Welcome to the Word Encounter episode 239, where today we'll be picking things up in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now remember that in 2 Corinthians, Paul is responding to either a letter or he's heard of the murmurings and grumblings uh, uh, that the Corinthians had in response to his first letter. And so a lot of what is in 2 Corinthians is him defending himself, defending his, his ministry, still trying to exhort and educate and impart but it's, you know, it's, it's done from the standpoint of I have the authority to do this, you know, because it's been granted to me by the Lord Jesus. And so he's, a, he's in a defensive posture in many cases. And so just keep that in mind as we go through um, chapter six, verse one. It says, working together with him, being with Christ, we also appeal to you. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. So Paul is saying, look, don't receive the grace in vain. In other words, don't receive it and don't have it not change your life. Don't, don't not respond to it. You know, respond with what you know is right. You know, you have been imparted into by the Lord Jesus, and so respond accordingly. Don't take his grace for granted. It says, see, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. In other words, respond now. This time is when we are to be um, uh, active in the things of the Lord, because if we aren't, we're taking it for granted. And that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Let's drop down here to verse 14. It says, separation to God. It says, do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. <sighs> so this word yoked, okay, like when a, a man and a woman are yoked together in marriage, that is a covenant. And so uh, some translations or some interpretation, uh, some interpretations may think of it as a partnership. Do not get into partnership with unbelievers. But yoked is stronger. You know, I believe I believe the intent here is to be stronger. It says do not be yoked together with those who do not believe, because we cannot we cannot spread the word of God. We cannot spread the gospel. We cannot impact other people unless we are, in fact, in, in um, connection with them. And, and whatnot. And so, but you can be in connection with somebody and not be yoked together with them. And so this is what I believe Paul is saying. Do not be yoked together uh, with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? This is a good question. It says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with uh, Belial? Belial is translated as the devil. So, so what agreement does Christ have with the devil? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell and I will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate says the Lord, do not touch any unclean thing and I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me. And so clearly the word is saying that we have to watch out with regard to the depths of our relationship with unbelievers. You know, and so because what can happen is when you get into deep connection with people that don't believe the same way that you do, what happens a lot of times is that their influence will start to affect you, will start to affect not only what you do, but will start to affect what you believe. And so God knows this. And so he's sending a warning. Don't be yoked with unbelievers. Okay. 
Let's go on to chapter 7, verse 1. It says, So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So he said, cleanse cleanse our lives of those things that are unholy, that are unclean. You know, a lot of things are of the flesh. You know, now we, we got to be careful here because I see people go crazy uh, with this sort of thing and start considering things unclean that are in fact benign. They are neither clean nor unclean. And so they're doing things, uh, I think, sometimes out of the flesh because they're not necessarily. Remember in, in previous episodes uh, when Paul was saying that uh, you need to be um, uh, convinced absolutely convinced because there's there's freedom okay there's freedom in christ and so but if you think something is impure then it and in in fact is benign it's not pure or unpure but if you think it is unpure okay then it is unpure to you and so therefore you should cleanse that from your life that doesn't mean that you have the authority or the right to assume that that is un, uh, unclean to other people and expect them to cleanse those things from their lives. That's your conviction. Again, we're talking about the gray area. We're not talking about the things that are known, you know, rape, murder, adultery, incest, you know, th- those sort of things. Those are obvious. We're talking about the gray areas, okay? But if you're convicted of something, if you're convinced of something uh, uh, that is unclean, then yes. Cleanse it from your life. It says joy and repentance. Make room for us in our heart, in your hearts. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken advantage of no one. Again, so this is Paul writing a letter in defense of himself. He's saying, you know, make room for me in your heart. <laughs> I have wronged no one. I have corrupted no one. I've taken advantage of no one. He's essentially being his lawyer with regard to the people of Corinth. You know, uh, because again, there's been murmuring and grumbling with regard to who is this Paul anyway. And so he says, I have essentially he's saying, I haven't done you wrong. You know, so why are you thinking this way? In verse eight, for even if I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. He's talking about the letter that he sent him, that he sent them for which there has been some grumbling about. He says, and if I regretted it, since I saw that the letter grieved you yet only for a while, I now rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. See, Paul saying, look, even if some of you grieved over what I wrote, even if you thought it was too harsh, even if you thought it was too hard, I, I rejoice because it led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed so that you didn't experience any loss from us. Verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. And so Paul is saying, look, the nature of your grief is critical here. If, if you're grieving because you found yourself outside of the will of God and that led to repentance, that's a good thing. But if you're grieving because of a worldly loss or something that has nothing to, uh, nothing to do with the things of God and whatnot, that kind of grief can lead to death. That's what Paul is saying. Let's go on to chapter 8. It says, Appeal to complete the collection. Verse 1. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. 
during a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty uh, overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So Paul is saying, look, there was some trials in Macedonia brought on by affliction, but even though they were afflicted and even though they were in, in extreme poverty and overflowing and a wealth of generosity came from that experience. And these are people who had little. Okay. He says, now as, as, uh, as you excel in everything. And so the, the, he's telling this in the backdrop of what he just told him about Macedonia, as far as the, uh, the, the, the uh, generosity and whatnot that was coming out of a very poor, very afflicted people. He says, now as you excel, Corinthians, in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, I also want you to excel in this, also in the act of grace. I'm not saying this as a command, rather by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. So Paul is stating a case, basically. He's saying, look, you have benefited from other people's poverty. You have benefited from Christ's poverty. He emptied himself out. And because he did that, because he became poor on your behalf, you became rich. You became rich in spirit. You became rich in all ways. And then in verse 10, it says, and in this matter, I am giving advice because it is profitable for you who began last year, not only to do something, but also to want to do it. So apparently the church in Corinth had made some uh, pledges with regard to how they were going to assist the people in Macedonia. Apparently that was the case. And so uh, Paul is saying, you know, you began this last year, this process of collection uh, for that purpose. And he says, that's cool and all. But he also is asking something else of them. He's asking of them to want to do it, not just to do it, but to do it with a cheerful heart, to want to do it, to be eager to do it. See, he wants them to do it with a certain attitude. In verse 11, he says, now also finish the task, you know, finish the task of what you started a year ago, so that uh, just as there was an eager desire, they, there may also be a completion. See, and so I want you to be eager to do it. You start this task, but it does no good to be eager and to start if you don't complete the task. He says, for if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So Paul is saying, if you have the right heart, if you have the right motivation, then whatever you give is going to be acceptable according to what you have not according to what you don't have. If you give something that most, Peter, most people would consider meager, but that's what you have, then Paul is saying that is going to be acceptable before the Lord. So don't be concerned about what other people may think with regard to the size of your gift. See, it's not about the size. It's about the heart. Says in verse 14, at the present time, your surplus is available for their need. So he's saying at the present time, you have done this, you have collected this. I know that you have a surplus so that their abundance may in turn meet your needs so that their abundance of spirit. So you have a, an abundance of resources, see, and, and that abundance of resources will meet their needs. But they also have an abundance that you need. They have an abundance of spirit. 
so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be equality. They have a surplus of spirit. You have a surplus of resources. So that there may be equality, there needs to be this exchange. Verse 15. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. See? So everybody is sharing and filling in the gaps of the needs of the others. It says in verse 16, um, administration of the collection. And so uh, Paul is, is, is communicating with the Corinthians because apparently they're about to um, uh, yield a, a, a large quantity of resources over uh, to the brothers and sisters that are hurting elsewhere, but he wants to give them some assurances that this is going to be done appropriately, that this is going to be done with honor, that this is going to be done with integrity. And so he mentions Titus and another are going to come and collect it from them. Uh, let's drop down to verse 18. It says, we have sent him, being Titus, uh, the brother who was praised among all the churches for his gospel ministry. And so, and another will come with him. It says in verse 20, we are taking this precaution so that no one will criticize us about this large sum that we are administering, that we are managing. So he's saying, look, we're, we're sending a couple guys who are beyond reproach in order to collect, you know, to, uh, to collect what you have collected. But I want to I want you to know that we're doing this so that no reproach can come upon us. So to make sure that you know that we're handling this correctly and appropriately. Indeed, we are giving careful thought uh, to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. Paul is saying before God and before people, we want to show ourselves as ones with integrity, ones that are trustworthy, ones that are not corrupt. And so we're going to do this in a very open and public manner. We're going to be accountable. You know, today people might say, well, come audit our books. You know, make sure uh, that we're doing what we say we're going to do. Have an outside uh, CPA firm come in uh, so, that they, uh, so that they can audit the books and see that we collected this and we gave out that. You know, do it publicly so everybody knows that everything is above board. It says in verse, or excuse me, chapter 9, motivations for giving. It says, now concerning the ministry to the saints... I know your eagerness, and I boast about you to the Macedonians. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you in this matter would not prove empty, and so that you would be ready just as I said. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, um, not to mention you, would be put to shame in that situation. Okay, so what is Paul saying here? He's saying, look, I'm sending Titus and, and this other guy ahead of us, to make sure that everything that you said is in order, to make sure that the funds that you said are available are available, and to make sure that everything is prepared so that when I come with the Macedonians, everything will be ready. So Paul is being very shrewd here. He's been bragging on the Corinthians to the Macedonians about how they have been collecting resources for them and whatnot. But Paul wants to make sure that when they go to do the collection, that everything is in order before they get there so that nobody is embarrassed. It says in verse five, therefore I consider it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead 
to you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promise so that it will be ready as a gift and not as an um, excuse me <clears throat> and not as an extortion. And so Paul is saying here, look, I'm sending my guys ahead of us before we get there so that when the gift is presented, it won't be presented as if other people have been pressured to give to give to the Macedonians. I want it to be presented as a gift, not as something that people were pressured into doing. In verse six, he says, the point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows uh, sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. So Paul is saying, look, again, he's checking the motivation. He says each person should give what he is convicted of, what he has decided in his heart. See, not out of reluctance, not out of being compelled, not out of any kind of force or guilt trip or anything like that. See, each person should give what he has decided in his heart, what he is uh, uh, overjoyed to give, what he desires to give, what he wants to give. See, so God is looking for a a cheerful giver. And he says, you know, God, the one who makes all this possible, you know, with the right heart and whatnot, that that action will be blessed. Verse 10, now the one who provides the seed, the one being God, now the one who provides the seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So Paul is saying, look, you give with the right attitude, give with the right motivation. God who provides you with all this stuff in the first place anyway, he's going to bless those efforts. He says, you will be enriched in every way. For all generosity which produces thanksgiving to God through us. You will be blessed in every way for all generosity which produces thanksgiving to God through us. You will be blessed in every way. Not just if you give resources, you're not only going to be blessed in resources. And if you give money, you're not just going to be blessed in money. It says in all ways. That could mean relationships. That can mean health. That can mean all means all. You're doing things with the right motivation out of the right heart. Then you will be blessed spiritually, physically in some case. I mean, we don't know. For the ministry of this service not only is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. See, and so... uh, you know, as you supply the needs for the saints, then the overflow of that will have many expressions. It, it may look very different from what you sowed. We don't know. That's up to God. And then he says in verse 15, uh, 15 thanks be to God for his indestructible gift. I said indestructible. Yeah, I guess I meant that, but the word says indescribable. (laughs) Thanks be to God for his uh, indescribable gift. Let's go on to chapter 10. It says, Paul's apostolic authority. Now I, Paul myself, appeal to you uh, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble among you in person, but bold towards you uh, when I'm absent. Hmm. Hmm. 
Let me read that again. It says, Now I, Paul, myself, appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble among you in person, but bold towards you when absent. In other words, Paul is saying, because he knows some people think that he's very, very bold, very, very harsh, very in your face in his letters. But when he's in person, he's somebody else. Okay. So then he says in verse two, I beg you that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we are living according to the flesh. So he's saying, look, when I get to you in person, he says, I hope I don't have to be bold in person. I hope I don't have to be that person that you see in the letters, you know, in your face, very harsh, you know, as I <clears throat> essentially confront the people who have been murmuring about me. And it says, um, for although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. So Paul is saying, we don't war like, like humankind knows how to war. We don't beat people up. We don't fight. We don't do anything like, uh-uh. It says, we demolish arguments in every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive um, to obey Christ. It says, our, our, warfare, our warfare is different. See, we war in the spirit. You know, we're, we're demolishing arguments, you know, through speech and through power. And it says every thought we're taking, uh, we commit uh, warfare by taking every thought captive. In other words, all those unclean thoughts and whatnot, take them all uh, captive and lay them at the feet of Jesus and have those things burned up. He says in verse 9, I don't want to seem as though I'm trying to terrify you with my letters. For it is said, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak and his public speaking amounts to nothing. <laughs> so surely Paul is, is, is regurgitating things that he has heard that people have been saying about him. He says, let such a person consider this. What we are in our letters, we are uh, when we are absent, we will also be in our actions when we are present. So that sounds like a threat. Paul is, it sounds like Paul's getting tired of people talking about him. He says, okay, you think this is all, you know, you know uh, how we respond to people in letters. We only do in letters. You don't think we're bold enough or brave enough to respond in kind when we're in person? All right, wait and see. <laughs> in verse 13, it says, we, however, will not boast beyond measure, but according to the measure of the area of ministry that God has assigned to us. Paul is saying, look, we're not going to step outside the bounds of our ministry. We're not going to do uh, other things that God has not called us to do. We're only going to do that which we have been called to do. That's the only thing we're going to boast about, if you will, that which we have been called to do. These other areas of ministry or whatever that aren't under our jurisdiction, if you will, we're not going to get into that. Verse 17, it says, so let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one commending himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends. And so what Paul is demonstrating here, in my opinion, is that he is confident in what the Lord has showed him personally to do. And he's essentially, in many ways, kind of challenging those who are challenging him to prove that he has not been commended by, uh, by the Lord to execute his ministry. So, and so, and sometimes, I, I can see sometimes where maybe this might be necessary uh, when dealing with people inside the body of Christ. 
Because sometimes there's a lot of jealousy and strife and other things that are going on that have no place in the body of Christ. But if the Lord has told you to do something and he has commended you to do it, he has authorized you to do it, he has equipped you to do it, he has empowered you to do it, then you are compelled to do it, regardless of what anybody else says or thinks. And with that, we are done today. We will pick things up tomorrow in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. Um, You know, the proposition continuously goes forth. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the word says that you will not be put to shame and that you will be saved. Anybody who really understands the dynamics of what is being said and done, nobody in their right mind, in my opinion, would deny that proposition. But the word does says that some people are blind and they cannot see. It doesn't say will not, it says cannot. And so in my way of thinking, that means it's impossible for them to see. But we also know that it is God's desire for all men to be saved. So somewhere in there, one has got to make the uh, decision for oneself. Everybody take care, stay safe, be blessed, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and should he grace us with another day of life, we'll see you tomorrow in the next episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.